For our scripture reading today, I will be reading from John chapter 3, verses 16 to 17 from the NIV, uh, familiar verses to a lot of us, but also very fitting for this sermon series. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And Sean, we're ready to hear God's message you have for us today. Come on up. All right, well, thank you, Gabe. Good morning. Hope you're all doing well today. What a great day to be worshiping the Lord. Well, we do enter back into our studies in the Gospel of John today. And in today's text, as you can tell from the title of our sermon, uh, Jesus makes another audacious claim. Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. Quite an audacious claim. Do you know what the Barman Declaration is? The Barman Declaration was a famous confession written in the 1930s, and it was written um, to resist the Nazification of the church during the rise of Hitler. And the way it's written, it's, it's to center, or maybe just to recenter the church on the cornerstones of the Christian faith. And do you know how it begins? It begins with this audacious claim of Jesus. Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. As the German church was trying to discern how to live in their tense environment, they used this claim of Jesus to guide their way. May we use this claim of Jesus to guide our way today. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son who is the way, the truth, and the life. And now we need your help. As we open up this text, would you open up our hearts through your Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in the upper room, and we continue to walk through with Jesus' disciples his final words before going to the cross. And as we've been saying, this is Jesus' last chance to kind of go through the main points of his ministry before he goes to the cross. And so in some ways, this text, this upper room text, has some of the deepest teachings we have of Jesus on par with the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we looked at the first three verses of chapter 14 where Jesus used the image of the first century betrothal ceremony to explain the purpose of his comings and goings. This week, in the next three verses, we get this audacious claim. So I invite you into our text this morning in John 14. Even though we did verses 1 to 3 last week, I'm going to reread them now. So hear the word of the Lord. Let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, Jesus begins with his command, do not be troubled. Do not be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And especially trust in what I'm about to tell you. He says he's going away, but he will come back and take his followers to be with him. And then Jesus says they all know the way. But Thomas, <laughs> Thomas is confused. And he speaks for pro he probably speaks for all the disciples. Turns out they don't know the way. Jesus, is it the road to San Francisco? Or is it the road to LA? Or is it the road to, to uh, Rome to conquer Caesar? Jesus, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Jesus answers him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. At which point, I bet Thomas is still thinking, but Jesus, which road are we going? <laughs> which road are we taking? But Jesus isn't talking about a literal road, is he? He's talking about a way of life. A way of life that leads ultimately to the Father. Now notice, Jesus doesn't say, I am a way, a truth, a life. He doesn't even say, I know what the way is, what the truth is, what the life is. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. This is the sixth of seven I am statements in John that have predicates. And these I am statements, they go a long way in describing Jesus' identity as the great I am. They are emphatic descriptions of the person of Jesus. And they cumulatively form a detailed picture of Jesus. And this one, you could say, summarizes all of the other ones. Obviously, this claim this truth claim has three great truths in it. I think each one um, <laughs> deserves a single sermon. We don't have time for that. So I'm just going to share a little bit about each claim in this sermon today. And we're going to start, we're going to take them backwards. Because the way kind of captures the truth and the life. So let's look at the life first. Jesus is the life. John's gospel is all about life. In fact, it's been called the gospel of life, mostly because of its purpose statement in chapter 20. John wrote his gospel so that we may believe and that by believing we may have life in his name. Then, of course, life has been a theme 
throughout the gospel. In chapter 1, we hear that in Jesus there is life. In chapter 3, those who believe in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. In chapter 4, we hear about a fountain of living water. In chapter 5, the Son has life in himself and gives life to whomever he wills. In chapter 6, Jesus claims to be the bread of life. In chapter 8, the one who follows Jesus will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. In chapter 10, Jesus claims to come to give an abundant life. In chapter 11, Jesus claims to be the resurrection and the life. And here, Jesus is simply the life. And what is helpful for me is to understand the Greek word here for life. The Greek word is zoe. I've spoken about this before, so let me refresh your memory. There are two words in the Greek for life. Bios and zoe. The word that describes the life we live now is bios. Bios is a beautiful life. But it wears down. And it eventually ends. Bios life is constantly moving toward death. That's simply what happens to bios life. On the other hand, zoe life doesn't end because it cannot end, because it's the life Jesus is. It's the life of God. I am the Zoe, Jesus says. Zoe life is in Jesus and is Jesus. And isn't that what we see throughout the Gospels? Jesus gives and restores life everywhere. He makes people whole everywhere. All the powers of corruption and decay and even death fall down before this one, the Zoe and the giver of Zoe. And to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, the whole offer of Christianity is that we share in this Zoe, in this life of Christ. If we do, we're sharing in a life that was begotten, not made, which always has existed and always will exist. In fact, Jesus came into this world to spread this, to, in order to spread to humanity this kind of life. And this is what C.S. Lewis calls the good infection. <laughs> we're always talking about bad infections these days. Here's the good infection <laughs> to receive Zoe life from the giver of Zoe, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the life. But Jesus is also the truth. In other words, truth is not an idea in our heads, but a person to be confronted in our hearts. This means truth is not so much cognitive and conceptual, but relational. Like life, we've met truth already in this gospel, particularly in chapter 8, when Jesus said, when you abide in him as a genuine disciple, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We will know Jesus and he will set us free, free from slavery to sin, free to love. Truth is a person. And if Jesus is who he says he is, then he embodies ultimate truth. 
So truth refers not just to Jesus' personhood or what he says, but his whole way of existence. His whole way of life is truth. This means Jesus is ultimate reality. As one writer says, Jesus is the standard for what is real in this world, what is true about God, and what is true about ourselves, because he's the true God, and he's the true human. I am the truth, Jesus says. And that brings us to the way. Jesus says, I am the way. At the beginning of the gospel, Jesus invited his disciples to him by saying, follow me. Those words actually mean, follow me on my way. Live the way I live. Do life the way I do life. The way speaks to wisdom for living life, embodied in Jesus and how he lived his life. His way is truth. His way is life. It's the way he spoke, the way he prayed, the way he cared, the way he led, the way he forgave, the way he rebuked sin, the way he related to the Father, the way he died, the way he rose again, and on and on. The way speaks to how Jesus lived his life. It's the how of the entire Jesus event. And it's an image woven deeply into the Old Testament. In Exodus, God went before the Israelites to show them the way. In Deuteronomy, the Israelites are instructed to keep God's commandments by walking in his way. In Psalms, God instructed the Israelites to make God's way known among the nations. In Isaiah, the way of the Lord is the highway of holiness. And now Jesus comes along and says, I am the way. He went before us to show us the way. We walk in his way. We make his way known among the nations, and his way is the highway of holiness. Jesus is the way. But can, can we define this a little more? Can we maybe describe this a little more? Well, I thought maybe it'd be helpful to understand what is not the Jesus way. Uh, a few years ago, Eugene Peterson wrote a book called The Jesus Way. And in it, he compares the Jesus way to three ancient ways of life, the Herod way, the Caiaphas way, and the Josephus way. And if I were to summarize their ways, they were all three Self-absorbed, self-serving, power-hungry, oppressive, and narcissistic. That was their way. And actually, their way was effective. Their way was influential. Their way worked in the world. And many people followed them on their way. Yet their way was not the Jesus way. But what about the modern world? What is the way of the modern world? 
the world we live in. Well, a friend of Regent College called Cred Gay actually wrote a book. A few of you are reading it right now, I know, and it's called this, The Way of the Modern World. And in it, he lists three defining characteristics of the modern world. Listen to these. Number one, control. The modern way is to exert complete power and control over our world, especially through unexamined technology adoption. In many ways, technology now defines our way in the world. Number two, the autonomous individual. The modern way is to remove God from the center of life and put us there. Humanity now has come to have such an inflated estimation of human potential that God has been removed from everyday life. This is secularity. We now define and determine our way. Our entire cultural ethos is characterized by profound self-centeredness, much like those ancient ways. The autonomous individual reigns supreme with no responsibility to God or neighbor. And number three, a relentless impersonalness. The modern way reduces people to objects that only serve a function. People are treated carelessly and sacrificed daily in the name of progress and efficiency. Three characteristics of the modern way. And as with the ancient way, the modern way is effective. The control-seeking, individualistic, impersonal way is influential. That way works in our world, and many people follow it. But the modern way is not the Jesus way either. So what is the Jesus way? Well, the Jesus way was distinct and still is. Jesus chose a different way. He didn't follow those ancient ways. He didn't do it the way the modern way does it. He chose a unique way, a radical way, a way exactly counter from all those other options. His way is relentlessly personal, persistently selfless, and resolutely sacrificial. His way is the meek, merciful, peacemaking way, the patient, kind, good way, the faithful, gentle, self-controlling way, And his way has prayer at the center of life. Furthermore, Jesus chose to work not with the important people of society, but with people on the margins, giving particular attention to the little people, the hurting people, the powerless. This is the Jesus way. It always amazes me. Of all the things the living God could do when he comes to earth, he decides to hang out with the people on the margins. And of course, we've seen that in John. 
the long conversation with the woman at the well, the, the caring for a lame, a lame man and a blind man, the saving of the woman caught in adultery from sure death. And he says, follow me on this way. Do life this way, he says, the personal way where every single person is, made, is treated as if they're made in the image of God. Do life this way, he says. It's the way of the towel. It's the way of the just-as-him kind of love. This is truth. This is life. This is the way. But there's more. In this verse, Jesus also says that no one comes to the Father except through Him. He says He's the only way to the Father. Now John has already stated this in other places using other words. Jesus states it clearly now. Jesus is the only way to God. There is only one path now, in context, this helps explain more about his comings and goings. He's going back to the Father, and he'll one day come and take his followers to be with him where he is, which is with the Father. In other words, he's the only access point to the Father. Well, this is certainly an unwelcome word in our pluralistic society. But if Jesus is who he says he is, this is truth. And there is no compromise. Jesus is the only way to salvation. He's the only Savior of the world. As Peter says in Acts, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. He, Jesus, is the only way. But that's not to say that God has not left his witness elsewhere, witness of himself, elsewhere in the world. After all, we were told in chapter 1 that Jesus is the light that lightens every person. As Dale Bruner has said, all truth is God's truth and all life is God's life. But God's truth and God's life are incarnate in Jesus. Jesus is the only way to the Father. This is why the earliest Christians refused to bow to Caesar. This is why they were mowed down in the Colosseum. This is why Polycarp, who was discipled by the Apostle John, when commanded to bow to Caesar as Lord, could say, 86 years have I served Jesus and he's done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king, my Lord, who saved me? And he's burned at the stake. This is why Bonhoeffer stood up to the Nazis. This is why Martin Luther King took his stand against racism. The martyrs took their stand on this truth. And when the church has had the courage to stand on this truth, 
throughout history, she has deeply helped people. The church hasn't been perfect, but the church has done great good when they stood on this truth. Major hospitals, schools for the less fortunate, passion for love and social justice, The one constant in an ever-changing world is this. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Which is why the most important question in life is who is Jesus to me? And yet with this truth firmly in place, may we never boast or be arrogant. Our salvation has nothing to do with us, with our achievements, our performance, or our own resourcefulness. Salvation is possible only through the merits, mercy, and grace of Jesus Christ because God so loved the world. God mercifully provided the way through his son. Therefore, Jesus as the only way can never be a cause for triumphalism, smugness, or superiority. This truth is a call to humility. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, the only way to the Father. Well, let me close this morning with three implications of this audacious claim. Number one, love. We come back to the theme of love. The proof we understand Jesus as the way, the truth, and the the life is whether love characterizes our life. As Dallas Willard says, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it's true. Jesus is the way, truth, and life. And his way is the way of love. If we believe it, the fruit, will, the fruit of our life will be love. The way we talk, the way we use our influence, the way we treat others, the way we raise our children, the way we read, the way we worship, the way we garden, the way we do dishes, all of it drenched in love. Secondly, if we're to follow the way of Jesus, it means discernment. Discernment on a daily basis, almost moment by moment basis. And in order to do this, we first need to know Jesus and his way intimately. We need to know the Gospels intimately, backwards and forwards. We need to know his whole way of life. To know what his values are, his vision is, what his actions and his teachings are. We need to soak in the Gospels. And then we can discern well what the way of Jesus is on a moment-by-moment basis. As the church in Germany placed their discernment squarely on Jesus as the way, truth, and life, so do we. 
The question is, what is the way of Jesus in this moment? May that question become a habit in our lives. Because the way of Jesus takes priority over every other way. What is the way of Jesus as I drive down the road? What is the way of Jesus as I enter this board meeting? What is the way of Jesus as I attend this community gathering? What is the way of Jesus as I interact online? What is the way of Jesus as I attend my kids' sporting events? <laughs> Ouch. That's convicting for me. <laughs> In fact, last week I was at a basketball game, and the court next to our game ended in a fist fight. Parents, coaches, players, refs. It was awful. Unfortunately, it's becoming quite common in youth sports. So what is the way of Jesus as I cheer on my team, my kids' team, the Warriors tonight. <laughs> the Dodgers. Ooh. <laughs> I knew I'd get a response. <laughs> what is the way of Jesus as I walk through my day? But also, it's a good question to ask as we read the news. And as these social earthquakes happen, and we've had many, haven't we, over the last few years, what is the way of Jesus in the midst of a flood of displaced and unhoused people? What is the way of Jesus in the midst of a splintering society during a pandemic? What is the way of Jesus in the midst of all the violence that's happening right now? May this question become a habit in our lives as we discern, as we discern well and try to follow Jesus on his way. Lastly, the other proof we understand this truth is that we pray. We become prayers. Prayer is the primary language for everything that takes place on the Jesus way. If we go to a restaurant in Paris, we speak French. If we go to Romania, we speak Romanian. If we go to Liberia, we speak Liberian English. And if we follow Jesus on his way, we pray. That's our language. It's the language we use to speak to God and to listen to God. As Peterson says, we pray our lives into the act of following Jesus. We become followers of Jesus from the inside out, not just following with our feet. The disciples followed Jesus with their feet all over Palestine, but it never got inside of them till the Spirit came. So prayer, with the help of the Spirit, gets the way of Jesus inside of us. So we become people of prayer. Well now as I conclude, I'm going to invite our worship team back up. I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus says. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. And I invite you to live the way I live. I invite you to do life the way I do life. Because this way is the truth, and this way is the life. If we believe this, we'll be people of love. We'll be people that discern well. And we'll be people of prayer. Almighty God, whom truly to know is everlasting life, grant us so perfectly to know your Son, Jesus Christ, to be the way, the truth, and the life, that we may steadfastly follow his steps in the way that leads to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.